Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. So we are thankful that you guys are here with us. Uh, We say this a lot, but it, it doesn't lose any of its meaning. We know that whatever it is that you guys have brought with you into this space, sometimes that's a lot of baggage, sometimes that's a lot of hurt, sometimes that's a lot of pain that has been done on behalf of of the church. And for some of you, it's difficult just to even walk through these doors, and we're glad that you're here with us this evening. For the regular attenders, you will know that we have been going through the book of Galatians, and we've been having a great time. Hopefully... It's not super weird when in the middle of a worship set and we read this long extended passage about circumcision, hopefully, for the regular attenders at least, that's not too weird because we know what Paul is talking about in that passage. And if, if we don't yet, we're still going to try to make our way through that and, and uh, understand what it is that Paul is, is talking about. This evening, I just kind of want to jump in a bit and read a, a passage that's somewhat difficult, and we'll try to break it down and we'll explain it. Although tonight I do want to do things a bit different. Usually our MO is to set things within its first century Jewish culture. We're going to do some of that, but tonight I really just want us to reflect a bit on what Paul is talking about and how that meets us where we are uh, sitting here in this space. This is Galatians, beginning in chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The word of God for the people of God. What? (laughs) That's a really extended, very dense theological passage that Paul has just has given to us. We are dead set in the middle of a large extended argument. This is why preaching through Galatians is difficult because every time we're trying to piece things together. But if we just show up, we jump right in. Paul's talking about the law being a guardian and we're under the custody of the law and all these crazy things that don't really resonate and don't make a whole lot of sense for us. Not only because we're so far removed from the context in which Paul is speaking to this group of Galatian churches, but also because we're we're, we're piecemealing the text. One scholar says this, Galatians 3, 6 through 29 must be read as a continuous block of argument in order to grasp its overall importance. When it is subdivided, it tends to fall apart into enigmatic fragments. Yeah, Hayes, it does. Very enigmatic phrases because we don't follow what Paul is talking about. When chapter three began, Paul launches into this argument from experience. Remember this the spirit that has, has shown up in your lives. Remember the commitment that you have made to Jesus. Remember those moments that nobody can take away from you. And when you hear these Jewish Christian missionaries that are sliding in and trying to teach you to be circumcised, to observe the food laws of the time, to observe the Sabbath laws of the time, do not listen to them. Remember the spirit that's at work in your life and the experience that you have had with the spirit. Now for Paul, this is really weird because Paul is a first century Jewish Pharisee. If we can boil down Paul's teaching and what he's saying into just the the smallest fragment so that we don't have to go over all this old uh, material that we've already been through, and even for the new visitors, this is how we we can summarize the first three chapters of the book of Galatians. Circumcision, bad. Jesus and the Spirit, good. And what was happening is for the Gentile, for the non-Jewish believers, followers of Jesus, they were being threatened and uh, pushed towards observing Jewish laws in order to be in the family. And what Paul is saying is, no, don't forget your experience. Don't forget the spirit that is indwelling in you. Do not forget the commitment that you have made to Jesus and how Jesus has shown up in your life. Jesus is enough. And as a result, you have enough. Now, Paul has been a huge butt up to this point in the book, if I can be that disrespectful to my main man, Paul here. But he launches in, you foolish Galatians, why are you so stupid that you would want to go backwards and follow the law in this way? He has been laying it on thick. But what he is saying at the very core is this beautiful gospel of you have enough in the trust and the faith that you have in Jesus. This is the good news that he is preaching to these Galatian Christians and also to the Jewish Christians of the time. Jesus is enough. Everything has been changed in and through and because of him. And when you are linked with him in your faith and in your trust, when you are in Christ, you have enough. 
Paul launches on from this argument of experience, and then he goes into an argument from Scripture. And as we saw last week, it's difficult to track Paul because Paul was a first-century Jewish Christian who had been trained as a Pharisee and taught to read the Bible according to contemporary Jewish interpretive and hermeneutical approaches of his time. And he was writing the book of Galatians to counter the bad biblical interpretations of other first-century Jewish Christian scholars and teachers. Right? I mean, yeah. Obviously, of course. So Paul is embedded within a first-century, very Jewish culture and the ways that he is reading scripture, they do not look like the ways that we read scripture when we wake up at five o'clock in the morning and we go to our breakfast nook and we crack open the good book and we just start diving in so something might speak to us. This is not how Paul is reading scripture. He's reading scripture as one who is embedded within a cultural context that is very distinct from our own. So he'll do stuff like this. He'll look at the progression of the promises of God laid out in the book of Genesis And whereas these Jewish Christian missionaries who keep pushing circumcision saying, in order to be in the family, you have to be circumcised. You have to be uh, one who follows these observances of, of the Jewish people. Where they will say this, Paul will actually move it back and say, actually, if you look at the text, Abraham was declared and deemed to be righteous before he was circumcised. God declared that he was righteous through his faith, through his trust, through the radical belief that he had that God was up to something in his life. You see, guys, it's not about his later circumcision because God had already promised to Abraham all sorts of stuff prior to. And even if you look back before uh, Abraham was declared to be righteous on the basis of his faith, you can see that all nations, God said, will be blessed through Abraham. There were these promises that went back farther in time before Abraham was circumcised that Paul is now saying, don't put all your eggs in the circumcision basket. Go back and see how God is revealing himself and, and dealing with Abraham before that took place. And from this, he's, he's seen even within Genesis, we've got these two um, promise-making moments in Abraham's life, and those are the basis of faith. And this is how we can see that Gentiles are included in all this. And in the text that we saw tonight, he does something similar. For us, it's really weird. And for us, we, we read through this text, and we see the law, and it's capitalized, and we hear about the seed and the seeds and all this weird stuff, and we have no idea what's going on. But for Paul, as a first-century Jewish former Pharisee, this is how they were reading Scripture. He says that God's promise to Abraham is the thing. The law didn't come in until 430 years later, so why would we bank everything on following the law? That's not what it's about. So he wants to move the law back and see that God's promise to Abraham, it's not fulfilled in the law. It's not fulfilled by keeping the law. It's fulfilled when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, the law ceases to be that guardian or that custodian or that whatever it is. The law ceases to have its function because Jesus has completely destroyed it. Now, do not mishear me. This does not mean that the Old Testament is garbage. This does not mean that keeping the law is not important. What Paul is saying is the source of our salvation is now culminated in Jesus in his death and his resurrection. Paul was a first century Jew. Of course, he's not going to do away with the law in this way. But he's going to say that now Jesus has, has turned things on its head and has brought about a completely new era in world history. This is why at the end of that text that I got Tessa to read, it says, the only thing that matters is new creation. It's not about circumcision. It's not about law-keeping. The only thing that matters is new creation, and this is what Jesus has initiated in his death and his resurrection. I've said this once. I've said it a thousand times. 
We limit the scope and the importance of Jesus by making it about us, by making it about our sin and our forgiveness, when actually what Jesus came to do was cosmic in scope, coming to set the world to rights, as N.T. Wright would say, coming to make things as they should be, and we get to participate with him in that here and now. So the choices that we make and the way that we treat people and the way that we invite folks in is demonstrative of the work that Jesus has done on the cross and the empty tomb by allowing us to invite people into new creation, not into keeping the law, into a trust-filled relationship with Jesus. I hesitated there because sometimes I think the church over... um, sentimentalizes, if that's a, I think that's the right word, over sentimentalizes Jesus. Like I've got a relationship with Jesus and we kind of, you know, we, we make it real nicey neat. And it's, 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 it's more about us than it is about what Jesus is doing in and through us. That's why I pause there. But here, Paul is saying that God's promise to Abraham, it's looking forward to Jesus. And then he also has this really weird interpretive bit where he says God's promise to Abraham's seed. And then he says, and it says seed, and it doesn't say seeds, plural. And this is a weird argument because um, in the Hebrew language, seed was a collective noun. And when God makes promises to Abraham's seed, he's not talking about one. He's talking about all of the ancestors, all of the people that would come through Abraham and his kids, all the people, the the people of Israel that would be. But what Paul is doing here is he's rereading this. It's not just Israel, as most people at the time would have thought. God's promise to Abraham's seed, it's not Israel. It's actually looking forward again to Jesus, who is the culmination of Abraham's seed. And therefore, anyone in Christ is Abraham's seed. Look at all these arrows and this flow chart. This is like nice. This is, this is thick, rich stuff. I hope you're understanding what's going on here because at the, at the um, core of this is the beautiful gospel that we are invited into because this line here where it says God's promise to Abraham's seed that goes to Jesus and then it points down to anyone in Christ, that is us. And that means that we become part of Abraham's family. So Paul gets to this climax in the first three chapters, and this is after he has berated these Galatians saying, you foolish Galatians, you do not understand. Why are you wanting to follow the law? Why are you wanting to get circumcised? Why are you wanting to go back? And then he launches with this indicative statement. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul is is moving here, and we'll see this more. He's moving his language into one of affirmation to this church. Don't forget, church, even in the midst of this temptation, even in the midst of this bad teaching that is coming your way, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And this is Paul talking to his little baby church, remembering perhaps the day of their baptism and saying, do not forget that moment when Jesus showed up in your life and the Spirit has taken over in your life. Do not forget that and do not replace that with something that is cheap and less than. Do not forget what Jesus is doing in your life. This is why baptism is important, by the way. And we see whenever Paul talks about baptism in the New Testament, he's talking about these big statements about remembering your baptism and remembering your participation in the family, remembering your entrance into this people. 
Now, this does not mean that you get saved by baptism, but it does mean that this plays an important part in your life. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth, said, this is a moment in which you look back and no one can take it away from you, regardless of where you are. No one can strip you of that moment. No one can strip you of, of that. I remember when I was, I was 13, and I was in the pool at my parents' house, and this was after service, and I don't even remember how I got in there. I think mom make, made me, because it was like time to do that. She's shaking her head like, no, I wouldn't do that to you. That's crazy, but I don't remember. It wasn't like I had this divine revelation, this divine moment where I was like, I've got to get baptized. But I remember being in the pool, and the pastor saying, do you want to say anything? And I remember, I've told you guys this story, I remember just being moved with emotion. I started crying, which wasn't really weird for me to do, but I just, I started crying, and I said, no, but I knew something was stirring in the water, so to speak. I knew that something was happening. I just didn't have any way to quantify it. And now as I can look back and see God's hand in my life, I know that he was present. And in the days when I doubt myself, in the days when I doubt my calling, in the days when I doubt what in the world we're doing as a church, in the days when I doubt who I am and how successful I am as a husband, as a dad, as a whatever, I can look back to that moment and understand that God was there with me saying, I'm with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And perhaps similar to how God spoke over Jesus at his baptism, perhaps God was also saying, you are my son and in you I am well pleased. Now I did want to throw this in because I thought it was interesting. Back in the first century, <clears throat> when people became baptized, the rites of baptism was to strip down naked and to go into the waters and then to come out and put on a white robe. And I thought I'd make a nice tie between that and our beach baptism that's coming up in October, in the unseasonably cold water, waters of October. We won't make you guys strip down naked, although I do want you to do this. I do want you, the next time somebody says, kind of like pious and really holy, like, I really wish that the church would get back to its first century roots. I want you to say, yeah, you think people should be baptized naked too? Just see how that goes over. It won't probably go over too well, but I... I think it's funny, and then you can report back to me at some time. So here he's saying, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. The language there is you have put on Christ in the same way that you have put on this white, clean garment after you leave the waters. He continues, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. I put this, the quotes there so you would know what Paul is doing is he's looking back to Genesis chapter one. He's quoting scripture. There is neither male and female. Uh, excuse me, nor is there male and female. He's using different language here, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Don't forget the, the historical weight of this first line. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has broken down racial barriers that once held us at a distance, and through Christ, they are completely destroyed. If that doesn't preach today, I'm not sure what does because we live in a radically divided world. Not only do we live in a radically divided world, but even within the Christian family, we live in a radically divided Christian family. I asked Tessa earlier if you guys would think this was crazy. In, in light of our teaching on the book of Galatians, I thought it would be fun. Since we're a church that meets in the evenings on Sundays, I thought that we should find a bus or a van and we should load up the bus or the van, and on Sunday morning, we should go visit some other churches and just be present 
because we are family with these other believers that we don't know, that we have no idea what their churches are up to, that we are not partners with in any tangible way in the gospel. They are out there somewhere and we are here doing our thing. And perhaps when we leave, we feel good about that. But we've got so many other Christians in this town that we don't understand, that we don't try to get to know, that we don't really want to be a part of our lives because we're not trying to let other people to be part of our lives. Oh, but pastor, we're so busy. Our lives are so full. What Paul is saying here is through Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is no division between, between race. There is no slave or free. There's no division between the class system, which was much different than it is here in our context as it is in the, in the first century. But you could almost... Um, put that in different terms. There's neither poor nor rich. That might be a bad interpretation of that, but there's definitely social classes here. And we usually stay within our own social class, nor is there male and female. Now, if I wanted to, I could probably go on a rant here at this moment about how this sort of subverts that hierarchical structure of men and women and how we should fight for the, uh, the ordination and calling of women to ordained ministry. I'm not going to do that tonight, although if you would like to spend time and have me buy you a cup of coffee, I would love to walk you through that. But here, I just want you to see the radical nature of what Jesus has done and how Paul, as a first century Jewish Christian, the things that he is sticking his neck out for in this passage are mind-blowing. Jesus has broken down racial and ethnic barriers. Jesus has broken down barriers according to gender. Jesus has broken down barriers according to socioeconomic status and class. Jesus has made us one. Now that does not mean, and I want to be very fair in saying this, that does not mean that our distinctions as people go away. But perhaps when we understand this, we could actually begin to celebrate the distinctions, to get to know people for who they are and see how good God's created world is in its diversity. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, he concludes, then you are Abraham's seed. That is a massive statement he continues, if you belong to Christ, you are heirs according to the promise. At the core of this text, and this is where I want to pause. I said we weren't going to get into a lot of context. I lied, I guess. I just got excited. What I've found in this passage is it's a reminder of our identity. And I'll be honest with you, there's moments in my life where I have struggled to understand what it means for me to be a child of God, to be looked upon with, with the righteousness of Christ. It's difficult for me to, to contemplate that. But when I hear these words and hear what Paul is saying, I think it can bring me back to my, to my groundings and understanding who I am. And I know that there's people in the room tonight that in your darkest moments of the existential crises that uh, encompasses your college and post-college experience where you are asking, who am I and how am I going to pay these college loans? When you're asking yourself those sorts of questions, you can very easily be captivated by fear and move away from that rooting that you are a child of the Most High God. You have been created in His image and in His likeness. 
And when you are following and trusting in Jesus, you are part of a beautifully diverse family. This question of who am I is one that keeps many of us awake at night. And I would bring you back to this text where Paul is reminding us that we are one in Christ. Perhaps it also uh, forces us to ask about who are you? Like, if I understand who I am, then how am I understanding the person next to me? And again, I think the church has done a terrible job of understanding that everyone being created in the image and likeness of God because we haven't treated everyone as an image bearer. We have not treated everyone with equity. We have not treated everyone even with charitableness. We have not treated people in the way that Christ would. We have not, oftentimes we have not done our job at loving our neighbor. We have forgotten our own identity and we have not been informed by that to loving others around us. And I also think that, at least in our church context, we can also stop and pause and ask ourselves, who are we as a community and what is it that we're trying to do and who is it that we're trying to reach? Not in the sense of getting them here in the seats, that's secondary. I mean, who is it that we're trying to change the lives of these people? How do we take the stuff that we talk about in the small groups that we have? How do we take the ministries that we're a part of and have that impact who we are so that when we have conversations around coffee or at commons or in the work lunchroom or wherever we are, where we can, in a compelling way, introduce people to Jesus and this gospel that is truly good news. What I found in this passage is that Paul moves from argumentation to affirmation. When he begins, you foolish Galatians, you don't get it. The thing that kicks off this section of text is brothers, sisters. The language changes where he's not berating people anymore, but he's pleading with them. Family members, get this truth that you are one with me in Jesus, and you have enough in him. He's moving from this argument to affirming who they are. They don't need to add any rites or rituals to themselves in order to be in the family. Paul is moving from exclusion to inclusion. I know these are like buzzword sort of things, and for some of you, you might start thinking, I'm not so sure where he's going, but you don't have to look too much farther than just reading the pages of scripture to see how radically inclusive the gospel is. It's the people on the the people on the outskirts and the margins, the poor and the oppressed, the people that are brought in. These are the people that Jesus showed up for. And how are we showing up for them in our lives? Paul is moving from exclusion to inclusion. He's also moving from our insecurities, from the things where we think we've got to do more, we've got to earn this, we've got to merit that, and allowing us to see peace that's available in Jesus. It's not about our striving. It's not about our work, but it's about Jesus and trusting in him. It's moving from our striving to our rest. It's moving climactically from the old age that's dominated by law to the new age that Jesus has radically initiated through his death and his resurrection. Circumcision doesn't mean a thing. New creation is the thing. I also think it's important just for us to to close with this idea that we move from work in one sense to work in a different sense. And usually we think about they're trying to earn their salvation by keeping the law, and that's the work that's binding them, perhaps, maybe not. But here, I don't think that our trust in Jesus uh, alleviates the work that we're called to do. And again, I just want to bring us back to this rallying cry. This is why we are here. This is why we exist as a people, because we should be working to include people in this family. 
we should recognize the role and responsibility that we have to work with Jesus to bring the kingdom of God here, to bring heaven to earth, to be part of this movement that God is bringing about in this place. Guys, and if that does not fire you up, I'm not sure what will. We can be, through Jesus, agents of hope. We can be agents of grace and redemption and justice, but it doesn't just happen. It happens because we work and because we are committed to the cause. There's a text in Galatians that has been rattled around in my brain all week, maybe all month, maybe for the last five years of my life. Do not tire of the work because when harvest time appears, we will reap the fruit. Something like that. You'd think after five years I'd have it memorized, but I don't. Do not tire of the work. And also do not fool yourself that the life that we have chosen, the life that we have been called to, that it's going to be easy. There are days when you have to put your hand to the plow and fight for people. And it's not just something that happens. It's something that takes effort and work and prayer, and trust that God will be with us in the midst. In all of this, what I hear Paul saying to these Galatian churches, the thing that he's saying to his, to his friends and to the, to the churches that he's planted is, do not go back to the life that you had prior to this. Do not forsake Jesus to cheapening that for law and circumcision. Do not underestimate the grace that you have to be bound again by works. Do not, folks, do not go backwards. And for us tonight, perhaps that's a rallying cry where we can see, do not grow tired of the work that we are doing and do not go back on the life that God has called us to and do not underestimate the transformation that has taken place in us through Jesus. When the spirit of God is living in us, it brings about a sense of, of power. It brings about a sense of um, victory by what Jesus has done. And may that be the thing that fuels us and guides us and motivates us. Tonight, if you're struggling with identity, remember that when you trust in Jesus, when you are in him, you are part of this beautiful family. And may that be something that motivates us to pull out the chair for the person in our life that needs that hope. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.